wish to follow in the Bibles will please turn to page 1060 in the Old Testament, where verse 8 begins at the very bottom of the page. Let us listen for what the Spirit is saying to us today. He has told you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? May God guide us as we live out these words. So, we're going to find out how many of us are old enough to know more of a folk version of this. This, this case, I think, yeah, with a hyphen. Um, we just sang Psalm 63 um, without a hyphen. If you know this, please drown me out. Thy loving kindness is better than life. Thy loving kindness is better than life. My lips shall praise thee, thus will I bless thee. I will lift up my hands into thy name. Thy loving kindness is better than life. Thy loving kindness is better than life. My lips shall praise thee, thus will I bless thee. I will lift up my hands in thy name. I will lift up my hands in thy name. Okay. Well, you know, you know, you know. Oh, I put music in a sermon. That's how you get applause. That's, nobody ever claps at the end of the sermon. Am I begging? <laughs> so I, I just love that. And, and frankly, I liked it better in the other song without the hyphen. Just one word kind of combining a couple of things. That's interesting to me. Is it interesting to you? Because I've got to give a warning here. I'm going to do some of that word stuff. Um, I'm going to go on about really cool words and what they mean, and it's just kind of part of what I do. I have a book that I absolutely love. It's called They Have a Word for It, and what it is, it's a, it's a book of words that uh, we don't have a word for, but we recognize what they stand for. Uh, aloha is not in that book, but we think we know what it means, right? If you ask somebody, usually they'll say, oh, it's how you say hello and goodbye, in Hawaii, but it is a deeply, uh, 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 it's a value word. It is a word of ideals. It combines love and affection and peace and compassion and sympathy and mercy and so many good things that, of course, is what you wish to people when you see them and when you bid them farewell, do well, right? Uh, so we know that. We know that it's a word that represents a body of meaning and ideals. Uh, just a few others to throw at you. Weiwu, uh, the book says, and I qualify everything with the book says, uh, uh, is Chinese for the act of not acting. Uh, 
the decision where you could do something, but you don't. Uh, really, probably should do some uh, of that, like every day there are opportunities to choose not to do something, right? Uh, in German we say fisselig, um, which means fussy in some ways, but it can mean flustered to the point of complete incompetence. Right? Yeah, so uh, you know, that's one, once or twice a day for me, I don't know about you. Uh, uh, yeah, just uh, can't do, just hopefully not in the middle of, of, of a sermon. Uh, the Korean word won um, is a word for uh, clinging to an illusion, right? The inability to let go of an illusion. Uh, uh, personally, my illusion is that I have no illusions, and I'm sticking with that one. Yeah. A lot of these are probably some of us uh, all the time, and all of us some of the time. Uh, but the word, the word that we're singing when we sing about loving kindness is the Hebrew word chesed. So you've you got to clear your throat for that one. That's what that CH is all about. So let's just practice that. Repeat after me. Chesed. Pretty good. Pretty good. And if you have a cold, even better. Um, so, so chesed combines a lot of things. There are all kinds of different ways to translate this. So it is translated in various translations that I have as loving kindness, steadfast love, loyalty, devotion, mercy, goodness, kindness, faithful love, constant love, love that lasts. And here's the deal. Even if you leave here today saying, Oh, Steve did that word thing again where he went on about Hebrew or Greek or something. Even if you leave saying that, and I wouldn't blame you, you want what Hesed represents in your life, don't you? You want all those things. Uh, and to be able to boil them down to one word and say, I would like some Hesed, please. Yeah, that is a good thing. It combines these values, these values that are so important. You could, if you want to, get a t-shirt that uh, the fine print says, uh, chesed, the love that will never let you go. Uh, we want that. We want that in our lives. All these translations reflect a mixture of really three basic values of love, of strength, and of commitment. And really, all three of these need one another. Love without those others, love without strength or commitment devolves or can devolve into just sentimentality, where it's all about what we feel. But strength without love and commitment can just become an infatuation with power, you know? And commitment without love and strength can just be all about duty, all about obligation. One writer has said that uh, chesed really represents uh, deep personal involvement, uh, including commitment, but beyond just a sense of obligation. It is covenant love. So, still, most of our translations, or at least the most commonly used ones, the King James, the New International, the uh, New Revised Standard that we have here in the pews, uh, when they render Micah 6.8 and these three very simple, very profound uh, imperatives, these commands, uh, when they come to chesed, 
they settle on mercy. On mercy. Now, partly it's because you're supposed to love mercy, and to love loving kindness probably sounds a little redundant. Two different words for love at that point. But, but mercy, but mercy is where most of our translations, or at least the ones that are used most often, settle. And uh, we understand that because I think, at least we intuitively understand, that there's something about justice that needs mercy and something about mercy that needs justice. And because that first command, the one that we talked about last week, is about justice, it makes sense that we then also speak to mercy. There is that tension, I think, that we have in our lives in terms of trying to balance these two. Uh, in our personal lives, sometimes we can be thinking about justice and mercy uh, uh, with loved ones, with friends, with acquaintances, with coworkers, with children, with partners. Um, but also part of the larger social order uh, where we ask, how do we maintain a sense of order, hmm, structure, that can still be compassionate, that can still have heart? Personally, I think that chesed, and, and, and when we translate it as mercy, it has these three elements that we talked about before. When the norms of our society or our particular group, when, when norms give permission for harshness, uh, mercy is the exercise of love. So in situations where everybody would say, you have a right to uh, ignore, uh, return harshness, treat somebody in a way that is purely in accords with justice, and we are loving, it is evoked as mercy. Where we let go of a hurt, where we let go of a right to return harshness, when harshness has been given to us, for whatever reason, Love is mercy when it works against that norm that says we can strictly go by justice. And commitment, often as not, means that when we let go of a deed, we are actually taking hold of the one who has done the deed. We are valuing that person, or perhaps that relationship, or maybe even that person's need for redemption more than we are valuing whatever it was that they did that necessitated mercy. But especially, I think, it's important to think about mercy as strength. This is my bias, but I think it's true. I think that mercy and the ability to show mercy reflects true and deep strength, while at the same time, the inability to offer mercy is a kind of weakness. In some cases, we would be understand, uh, understanding about that kind of weakness, right? In the case of somebody who has been wounded by somebody else's act, we would recognize that their inability to show mercy uh, shows up their need to heal first. There have been times when the church or various people in our lives, we will say to somebody, oh, you need to forgive, you need to forgive, you need to forgive, when somebody is still wounded and doesn't need to forgive, but rather needs to heal a process in which forgiveness might come at the end. Hmm? So we understand that. We understand that sometimes 
not being able to show mercy is an understandable weakness, where we would say to that person, um, no, 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 you need to heal from your wound and not worry about mercy, at least not yet. But brothers and sisters, there is this curious idea afoot in the world that being strong can require cruelty. That if we are cruel to the needy, they will stop bugging us with their needs. That if we are cruel enough to those who are in distress, they might even figure out how to not be distressed. But especially if we are cruel to them, uh, then they won't ever, ever, ever take advantage of us. Mercy says to that idea, mercy says to cruelty, I have the strength to be merciful. And mercy can stand up against that particular moral weakness that invites us to forms of cruelty in the face of the needs of others. Okay, lots of words. Let's talk about pictures. We portray justice as seated because we recognize that judgment comes from a seat. How do we refer to the place of a judge in our own courtrooms? We talk about the bench, right? Uh, in the Bible, we talk about uh, the judgment seat. We also talk about the mercy seat, but we talk about the judgment seat. So, so uh, 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 justice, when we portray her, is seated. And, and then she holds that balance to indicate that she is weighing her decision between right and wrong, placing the, the, the possible bad things and the possible good things and, and weighing that out. And she holds that sword in order to enforce her decisions once they have been made. And she is blindfolded in order to avoid bias, right? In order to avoid favoring somebody based on how they appear in the court. We understand all those different elements, and we agree that justice needs to weigh things fairly, needs to be able to somehow uh, enforce what it makes as a decision, and uh, should be blind in the ways in which it is administered, without bias, right? But this statue, you'll notice, is not just justice seated with a sword and a blindfold and a balance. This statue, which is at a law school in Birmingham, Alabama, are you surprised by that? Have you made a judgment on Birmingham, Alabama? It also portrays the angel of mercy, whispering in the ear of justice. Now, what do you think she's saying? She's got her hand like this over towards the sword. I think, my judgment, I think she's saying, look, I understand about the blindfold. But I was looking, and I just want you to know I see something here. I see something that needs to be brought into the process beyond the scales and beyond the sword and beyond the blindfold. What do you think the angel of mercy sees? 
What does she see? And might we also see it as well?